and I invite you to have a seat. As you do, let me just introduce myself. My name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of opening God's Word this morning. And as I'm inviting you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, I want to invite the, the Hubtown Kids crew to make like a leaf, or make like a tree and leaf, right? Blue Station, ages 3 to 5, heading this way. Gray Station, age 6 up to 5th grade, heading this way. They're going to be learning a, uh, a great truth today about, the fact, about God, and that is that He is holy. God is holy. And this would be something good for you to take a picture of even today. Maybe uh, you're thinking about a way that you could uh, maybe have a lead your kid in a conversation today at lunch or, or catch up with some of the kids at Life Group this afternoon or maybe later in the week. This is a great question to quiz them on. Um, God is completely pure and undefiled. He is set apart from everything else. And there, uh, as one of the texts that uh, the scriptures uh, instruct us with, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. So God is holy and those poor children are not. I want to invite you again to turn in your Bibles not to the book of, of Hebrews, but rather to the book of Ephesians, to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be beginning a brief series today that will run for three weeks on stewardship, stewardship, closely looking at the three themes or ideas of time, talent, and treasure. If you don't have a copy of, uh, of God's Word today, you're welcome to use the hard black Bible in front of you, and we'll be on page 1,162, 1,162, you can just turn right to that page and nobody will know that you didn't know where Ephesians was. 1,162, there's a big five there, see that, that five and then you can run your finger down to verse 15, that's where we'll, be, where we'll begin reading in just a moment. Again, it'll be on the screen. The theme today, the topic is on time. One of the things I love about time is this, that there are 60 seconds in a minute. Aren't you proud of me that I knew that? I didn't even have to look that up. I just knew that. 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. And what I love about it, about time is that regardless of your social status, regardless of your last name, the job that you have, your pay level, your degree of education, even your work ethic, we all get the same amount of time in a day. We all get the same. I love that. It's, it's an even playing field. You may be taller than me. You may be smarter than me, but we get the same amount of time every single day. And the Bible has a lot to say about your time. The Bible has a lot to say about what you do with your time. And so we're going to take some time this morning to see at least one thing that the Bible says about our time and how we should spend it. And so there we are on page 1162, reading in Ephesians. The writer of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul He's encouraging these believers to realize the relationship that they have with God, how they've been reconciled with God. And not just have they been reconciled with God as Christians placing their faith in Jesus, but they've been reconciled to each other, and therefore they should have unity in the church. And not only should they have unity in the church and in their mission, but they should avoid together the temptations of the world. And in that theme there, giving us some very practical help here, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 comes. And it says, look carefully then how you walk. 
This is a metaphor for your, uh, not necessarily for the type of shoes that you wear or the gait or the stride that you use, but more about the lifestyle that you have, the habits that you've formed that make up who you are and what you do in a calendar day. And it says, look carefully then how you walk, how you live your life, not as the unwise, not as the unlearned, but as the ones who have learned, the ones who do have the truth. That's how you should be acting, and you should do that very carefully. And he expounds on that a little bit, and he says, you need to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And that's really where we want to zoom in today, this idea of making the best use of our time because the days are evil. Let's just pause as our normal habit is and ask God, to help us to understand this, and not just understand it, not just know what his word says, but to do his word. And would you ask me, would you ask God along with me right now that God would help you right now to submit to him in whatever way he reveals you should walk in this morning? Are you there right now? Are you willing to say that right now? God, whatever you say, whatever you show me, wherever you want to correct me and guide me, I'm listening, and I'm going to commit that to my practice. Are you there? If you are, say Amen. Okay, so there's, there's a good many of us. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Father, again, we just stop. We confess our weakness. We do this every week. Father, we can't understand this word apart from your spirit, your Holy Spirit that is in us. And we pray that you'd guide us. We pray that you'd teach us. And God, we're, we're not submitting to you. We're not listening to you. We pray that we would. We pray that today we would bring every part of our life, today our time, before you. I pray that we would open it up, not hide any of our calendar, but we would show it all to you, and we would ask for your wisdom and direction and how we spend our time. God, we pray that you'd guard our hearts, help us not to become legalistic, help us not to forget the gospel, but keep, our gospel, keep the gospel, this good gospel that you've given to us, on the forefront of our minds, realizing that there's nothing more that we can gain from you. We have everything in Christ. Your love will not increase or decrease on how we manage our calendar. But because of how Jesus spent his, you've accepted us. And we pray in his name. Amen. So the command is that we're to be careful on how we live our lives, how we walk, how we spend our time. And really the, the, the idea there is that there's a danger. There's a danger Without, there's a danger within. The danger without is sin, temptation. The danger within really is wastefulness. Not necessarily giving in to some overt sin, but not making the best use of our time and squandering it. Now, the word time there is not the word that we, where we get chronological or chronos. It's, it's a different word altogether, and, and really it has to do with, it really means fixed season or period of time in your life, and it's saying at this point in time of your life, don't squander any of it. The time that you have, use every single bit of it. The season of your life that God has found you, or God has placed you in, that you've found yourself in, don't waste any part of it. Saying that God has established the, the limits of your life. He's given you opportunity for service within these boundaries, and he's calling you to redeem every part of your life, every minute of your calendar. 
every part of your day. Now, I want you to notice something, that this is a command for us. It's not a suggestion. We like suggestions. We love it when God gives us a suggestion, but here he's not giving us a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, this is a good idea. I think you should consider it. He's saying, this is what you need to do. You need to be careful, and you need to use every moment of your time and redeem it. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, you may be asking this morning, I'm, I'm sure in the heart of hearts, many of us, we're asking, why are we talking about time? And why, do, why does God think that he has the, the right to speak into our lives and command us to yield our time in certain ways? Well, we'll readdress this a little bit more, but I want to just give you one reason why we should be talking about time and why God has the right to talk about time, and that is because God owns your time. God owns your time. If you're taking notes, you might want to leave a little bit of room underneath of that first idea that God owns your time for two, leave space for two more, but let's look at this idea that God owns your time. I want to try to, not try, I want to establish from a biblical perspective how this can be true, and I want to do that on two levels. The first is this, that God is your creator, that God is your creator. He's given you lungs, and he's given you the air to breathe with those lungs. He's given you the life that you have, the capacity that you have, everything that you have, you owe to God. He has created you and he has sustained you to this point. And on that point alone, we could say that God owns us. God owns our time. And if God demands of us our time, we must freely yield it to him. But that's only proving it on one level. That's only establishing this need on one level. There's another level, and I would argue that it is even more pertinent. It's even more important, especially in the life of a Christian. And that is that he is not just our creator, but he is our redeemer. He has rescued our time. He has redeemed our time. The psalmist says that he has taken us out of the pit, and he's placed us on a rock. We were dead in our sins, the scriptures say, and he rescued us from that. He made us alive. He purchased us back from, from the bondage of sin and delivered us out of prison. All of these metaphors point to the fact that he owns us. He owns our time. He is our creator, and he is our redeemer. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 teaches us about this idea. Now, the topic in, 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 in Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians here, is sexual immorality. And the church at Corinth, they were marked, the Corinthian people, the city, they're marked with uh, just sexual immorality of all sorts of degrees and kinds. And, and many of these people had come to faith in Jesus. They'd come to understand that, that Jesus is still loving them, even though they used to be this sinful group of people, that, that they had been washed and purchased and delivered from that. And the writer of Corinthians, also the Apostle Paul, says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's not the same sort of temple that would, where sexual immorality would take place, but it's a, the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the unholy spirit. The person of God, the, the Spirit of God lives in your body as if it were a temple where he is worshipped. It's not to worship you through sexual immorality, it's to worship him through holiness. And he says in that next verse, he says, you are not your own. 
Do you realize that you're not your own? Your body is not a temple for joy and pleasure. So many in this world and in our culture would argue and preach, your body is not your temple, it is God's temple, Christian. In verse 20, it says, you were bought with a price. You're bought with a price. You were redeemed. You were purchased back. And so what should we do then? So so glorify God in your body. The argument that he's making is that every part of you here, your sexuality is God's, not yours. It belongs to him. And the same application could be made, the same rationale could be used to say that if God has redeemed us, Christian, he certainly has our time as well. Our calendars belong to him. And so why should we listen this morning? Why does this have any bearing on you? Because so many of us are lulled into this idea that God, yes, he's good and he's gracious and he's kind and he's redeemed us. And therefore, on Sundays for an hour and a half, we can begrudgingly or loving and kindly give God that little bit of our time. And maybe a little bit on Wednesday and a little bit on Friday, sprinkled here and there. The scriptures teach us that all of our time, our entire calendar belongs to God. And really, I just want to stop and and introduce the entire series. I say entire like it's going to take a year and a half like the Hebrew series. It'll only be three weeks. But this next three weeks, including today, we'll look at this idea that your time, your talents, and your treasure all belong to God. They're not yours. They're God's. Friends, if you are a Christian today, if you claim the name of Jesus, stop and think about this. He has purchased you, and you entirely belong to him. Body, heart, mind, soul, time, talent, treasure, sexuality, Whatever it is, it all belongs to God. And today we consider this idea, if all of our time belongs to God, every bit of it, then and we've been commanded to make the best use of our time, yielding it for God's glory, what would that actually look like? I hope you're you're asking that question. I hope that you feel the weight and the draw to submit your time, your calendar to God, and then you say to me, Pastor Josh, what would that actually look like? Well, if you are there, I've got good news. I've got some answers. I found them in the scriptures, and I found a model for us that we can follow, and that model is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're taking notes this morning, our our model for time management, I've got four points, four points. Our model for time management, number one, Jesus was intentional with his schedule. Jesus was intentional with his schedule. Have you ever recognized that? That Jesus was so intentional in everything that he did. Even the fact that, think about this idea, that Jesus took his time getting to Lazarus' funeral. He took so long that Lazarus actually died. But Jesus was intentional. He knew exactly what he was doing. He said, this sickness isn't to death. And why did he want to raise Lazarus? Well, so that that people would come to Jesus in faith, knowing that this is not just a man, but this is God in the flesh. 
And I love the testimony of Lazarus that many people became believers in Jesus. Why? Because of Lazarus and his life and his death. And Jesus was intentional with orchestrating all of these things, his schedule, his timing, everything was intentional. Now, when we think of this idea of somebody's calendar being intentional, we may think, well, they're just punctual. Well, it's more than just being punctual. Punctual. Jesus was intentional. Intentional to do what? What was he actually aiming to do? And what did he accomplish with every second of his time? Well, one thing we know is that he came to glorify God. He came to obey the Father. He said, all that the Father has given me, I have come to do. Jesus was entirely obedient to the Father. We, we, we sang just a moment ago that he perfectly fulfilled the law that he gave and created. And that number one part, that number one piece of the law is that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that love is demonstrated through obedience, and Jesus did that perfectly. Furthermore, and more specifically, what was Jesus actually here to do? What, was, what did he want to accomplish with his time more specifically than just obeying the Father? Well, Luke chapter 19 tells us very clearly. Luke chapter 19, verses 9 to 10. It's there on the screen for you, and if you want to jot that down, you can consider this text later. It says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. And here in verse 10, he gives us his mission statement. What he's so intentional about, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the Son of Man. And what had he come to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. So was Jesus just really tight about his calendar? Was he just super serious and punctual to whatever came his way? No, he was intentional, saying yes to this and no to that. And what was the basis of that? What was his mission? To seek and to save the lost. And I I love this fact, that the mission of Jesus, it's beautiful and it's simple, the mission of Jesus is also the mission of the church. If you think about what Jesus commanded his followers to do, it's the exact same thing. You remember what Jesus said. It's called the Great Commission. He commanded us. He commissioned us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to make disciples and to baptize. That's Jesus' mission, and that's the mission that he's given to us, Hagerstown Church. He's given us the the, the mission of glorifying God in all that we do, evangelizing the lost, and making disciples. And Jesus was intentional with his time. And I just want to ask you for a moment just to consider. This is a dangerous question. It can be a painful question, but I want you to consider your own life. Consider your own time. Are you intentional with your time? Are you intentional in the same way that Jesus was intentional? Now, let me just say being intentional with your time doesn't mean that you're always busy and in a hurry. That's not, that's not what the scriptures are telling us here. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. To just scurry about in a hurry, no, but to be very intentional and to ask the question, is what God has called me to do, is that what I'm actually doing with my time? You know, time is a lot like money. If we're not careful with our time or our money, it will do whatever it wants to do, in a sense, seemingly. But we have to be intentional with our money. We have to have a budget, and similarly, we have to have a calendar. 
I'm not arguing for a Google Suite or some specific, specific uh, calendar that you carry, whether it be paper or digital, but, or whether you even have a real calendar or not that you can look at. But the reality is each of us need to find ways to be more intentional with our time, ensuring that what God has called us to do, we are actually doing. What I found in my own life is what I, I think that my st- stated priorities are also my lived priorities, and I often find that when I look at my calendar, the things that I'm doing are not the things that I necessarily want to do. Different things creep in, as it were, into my calendar, and I find out that I'm doing them, and they're not necessarily what God has called me to do. They don't necessarily move the ball down the field anymore. I want to ask you to consider your own life. Are you being intentional with your time like Jesus was? Maybe it'd be, it'd be helpful for you just to, to think about your calendar now. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend most of your time on? Have you ever stopped and scrutinized that? Maybe another angle, another piece of information that you could gather is what, what are your actual priorities? What are your stated priorities? Is it what God has told you to do? Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, it would be helpful for you to think. Even if you say, well, I, I don't necessarily believe what you're saying about God owning my time, well, it'd still be helpful for you to think about, hey, what do you really want to accomplish with your time? And is that what you're doing with your time? Christian, what are your stated priorities? Maybe it'd be helpful for you to write that down somewhere. You say, well, it's the Great Commission. Well, certainly it is. But more specifically, is there something that you see, there's some way that God has called you to accomplish this mission or contribute to that commission in a specific way? And if so, it'd be helpful to take the next step to make sure that your stated priorities are finding their way into your calendar. Maybe it'd be helpful again for you to think about not just the Great Commission, but the Covenant. If you're a member of Hagerstown Church, we, uh, you, you know about the covenant that we have all come together with. We've looked at the scriptures and we've said, God, God is, he's called us, he's invited us in to do so many things one for another. And we want to make sure that we're doing that. And so we've taken those little bits of, the, of what God has called us to do, King Jesus has commanded us to do, and we've sewn them together into this covenant of us saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do this together. And when we renew our covenant quarterly as a church in our members' meetings, we say, this is what we're recommitting to do. We're going to do this. One of my problems in my life is I commit to a lot of things, and then I don't put them on my calendar. Maybe you've been the, the, the victim of that as it relates to, to my interaction with you. We all do that. We all have stated goals or priorities that we actually don't live up to because we never actually fit them into the calendar. So how are we fulfilling the covenant? How are you fulfilling the covenant? How are you fulfilling the commission? And where is it on on your calendar? This little bit of wisdom didn't come from me, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Friends, we have been given a command to not waste our time, but to redeem our time. And we've been given a model, Jesus himself, and Jesus didn't waste any time. And we should follow after him. In transition, notice that when it came to his 
calendar, Jesus was intentional, but he was intentional to, number two, be generous towards the needy. Jesus was generous towards the needy. When it came to, more specifically, his calendar and his intentional interactions and governing of his calendar, he was very generous toward the needy. When you looked on Jesus' calendar, when you opened it up, if it were to be color-coded, there would be so much of it marked with one particular color. And you might ask Jesus, Jesus, when you have these appointments in your calendar and, and they're green, what does that mean? What, there's so many green. He'd say, well, 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 friend, that green indicates that I'm meeting with somebody who needs help. That green indicates that that person can't help me. They're not doing anything for me but I'm giving them time out of my schedule because they are in need. That's what we see in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. The scriptures say there on the screen, and, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining uh, with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is like, I have the opportunity tonight to, to sit with people who think themselves to be physically and spiritually healthy. And I have the opportunity, I also have an invitation to sit and eat with those who are in great need, both physically and spiritually. This one will be more fun. This one will be more relaxing. Uh, this one will probably have better food. I'll be less annoyed, less bothered. I'll be able to rest a little bit more and think and re recover from the long day. But these people are in great need. And not just physically, but great spiritual need. And where did Jesus go? Well, it says here, I didn't come to, to call the righteous. I didn't come as a spiritual physician for those who are spiritually healthy. I came for those who are physically and spiritually unhealthy and in great, great need. Friends, think of Jesus' schedule it's full of appointments with sinners. It's full of appointments with sick people. It's full of appointments with confused people. It's full of appointments with hurting, desperate people. Desperate. People who wanted time with Jesus, but not so that they could give to Jesus, but so that in a sense they could take and receive from him. And you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly where I'm differentiating here. There are times in our lives when we're around somebody, we're involved in a certain place where that person really needs help. They really need something from you, and yet you know that it's going to take from you. You have to answer that question, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to give them my time? And we remember with Jesus that he was so generous with people who were in need. He was so generous. He didn't come here to keep all of his life stored up in his cup. He came to pour his life out. You remember a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, I can't remember. 
the Calvary refrain. Do you remember it? The song, in a sense, that I posited that Jesus would sing, hum to himself as he carried his cross, life is for serving. Serving brings suffering. Suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. And Jesus has called us to sing that song as well and to be generous. Generous in the sense that we, we give when we don't even feel like we have. God the Father sent the Son into the world to pour his life out as a ransom for many. And what's so interesting and convicting and compelling is that Jesus said in John 20, the Father sent me, but now I'm sending you. The Father sent me to the needy, and now I'm sending you to the needy. We've been sent to be generous with our time. Man, I tell you what, we just began student ministry this semester. We've only had two weeks. I hope you're praying for our students. Man, I can really see our students encountering and interacting with the Word of God, and it's been incredible. But it's also been, like, incredible and convicting for me as well. We, we, we just opened up the Word of God two weeks ago, started reading through James, and I began to think, well, I don't, I don't know if this book has anything to offer me. I've read it. I mean, I memorized it when I was a kid. Like, what is there in James? And I re- remember two weeks ago hearing a little bit about James and think, uh, chapter 1 where it talks about a, a man, uh, two different kinds of people coming into your presence, one who you think is wealthy and one who you don't think is wealthy. And I remember thinking, man, that's me. How, how many times in my life have I, have I given the best seat to somebody that I think can give me something or benefit me in some way, relationally, physically, in any way? And yet I've given somebody that maybe has a need a lesser seat in my presence. And maybe that makes you really feel uncomfortable that you're listening to a preacher that would confess to something like that. But I just want to be honest with you. When I consider the, the way that Jesus is generous with this time and I compare it to my own time, there's, there's no comparison at all. There's no likeness. Not even close. And I confess that to you this morning. I confess it to the Lord and ask for his mercy and grace that he would help me to be like Jesus who was generous with me when I was in great need and now he's called me to do the same thing, to be generous with those who are in need in my life. I hope that you, like me, are committing today to not be like that guy in James who gives the preferential seat to the person with the nice clothes and the nice ring but gives his time to those who are in great need, whatever it may be. By the way, I want you to notice something. The scriptures teach us that God determines the time and place of our dwelling. That exactly where you're at right now, redeeming the time, that's a a specific period of time, and contextualized to you, applied to you, it's the time that you find yourself in right now. Know this, that God has determined that. Not only has he determined the time, the parameters of this time and the context and the makeup of it, but specifically even the people who are in need around you, God has placed you there for a purpose. He's placed you there so that you can redeem the time in your context. And you say, I don't think that's true. I'm here in a hospital bed at midnight. There's nothing. Is this the time that God has determined for me? Are there people in need? You had better believe it. 
He said, well, I've just been called out of bed at midnight, and now I'm beside the bed of my sick child, and I'm really, really tired, and frankly, if I'm honest, I am annoyed. Did God determine the time and place of this dwelling? Has he, has he called me to redeem this time as well and to be present with those who are needy at this point in time? You had better believe it. I find myself in a jail cell, or maybe I find myself in a nursing home, or maybe I find myself in a foreign land or in a cubicle. Has God called me in this time and place to give my schedule and my calendar to those who are in need? He certainly has. As the Father has sent Jesus, even so he has sent you. He has sent you to be intentional with your time, and he has sent you to be generous with your time to those who are in need. We can see that when we look at our model, Jesus. Now, Changing gears just a little bit, but continuing to look at Jesus, let me offer the third point here. As we consider the life of Jesus and the model that he was on how he handled his time, I want you to see that Jesus prioritized time in prayer. That Jesus prioritized time in prayer. I was reminded and condemned by a quote earlier this week that I, that I heard where the reformer Martin Luther said something to the effect that I've got so much to do today, I'll never be able to get it all done, and so I must spend my first three hours of time, the first three hours of my day in prayer. That that doesn't slap you in the face. There's so many things for you to do. Even now you're thinking, okay, I've got to get some time on my calendar. I've got to get some, some people that are in need. I've, instead of pushing them away, I've got to, to let them come in, and I've got to be intentional with my time and stop wasting this and stop wasting that. And the reality is Jesus is not just calling you to those things and modeling those things for you, but he's saying you need to stop, you need to calm down, and you need to spend time in communion and in prayer with the Father. That needs to be a part of your time. I thought just for effect, I would read for you every verse in the New Testament where Jesus is praying, but it would take a very long time. But I'll read a few. I can't resist. In Mark chapter 1, I won't read it, but I'll just tell you the context. In Mark chapter 1, verses 35 and 36, we see Jesus early in the morning getting up to pray before going into Galilee. In Luke chapter 6, we, we find him praying all night before he chooses his 12 disciples. It's a big day. Choosing the 12. Don't want to mess that up. Instead of getting a good night's rest, what does he do? Rest is important. We're getting there. But he spends all night praying. Mark 15, he gives thanks to the Father before feeding 4,000 people. Lots of work to do there. Lots of meal prep going on. Logistically, how are we going to get all this out? What does Jesus do? He has time, intentional time, not just to be generous toward the needy and the hungry, but to be generous with his time and prayer to God, depending on the Father. Before he teaches his disciples to pray, in Luke 11, we see that Jesus prays. That's interesting. He prays before he raises Lazarus in John 11. In, Mark, in, in Matthew 22, he prays before the Lord's Supper. In Luke 22, he prays for Peter's faith. These are just a few of them. In Gethsemane, before his, his betrayal, he's, he spends three separate times in prayer. And that's when he says, hey, can you not just pray for an hour? Can you not just pray for a little bit, disciples? What's the, 
What's the call for us today? To not just be generous with our time to the needy, but like Jesus, be generous, be liberal with our time in prayer. And to be intentional with it. Now again, we're going to, this is, I'm going to prove it to you, this is a gospel-y sermon. And so don't, don't get all sliced up with legalism today. Jesus is praying for us. Think of that. When you haven't prayed like you could or like some would say you should, know that Jesus is still praying for you. And even when you don't know what to pray or how to pray, what does it say about the Holy Spirit? That he prays for us. And still the reality is that we've been called to not waste time, but to make the most of it. And what better way to spend our time than to spend our time in prayer? What a shameless plug I'm going to give right now. Tonight, we're going to gather as a church and we're going to pray. It's an incredible invitation for us to to stop, to be intentional and say, no, God, we've got lots of desires, we've got lots of needs, we've got lots of questions, and we're going to stop, come together as a church, and we're going to petition before you that you would guide us, that you would hear us, that you would lead us, that you would answer our needs, answer our, our requests. We're going to gather today at 7 p.m. and do that. And I want to invite you, I want to ask you, would you consider doing that? Would you consider intentionally giving a part of your schedule to prayer? Not to bend the words of, of Jesus, but can you not just pray one hour? Remember when he says that? <laughs> I promise, we'll pray for one hour tonight. Would you find the time to do that? If not, tonight when? God has called us to prayer. Jesus has modeled for us prayer. And as you look at your, your calendar, mentally just thinking of what your week looks like, what your month looks like, and maybe you're not just imagining it. Maybe, maybe you pulled it up right now and you're looking at your calendar. When, when will you pray? When will you pray? Jesus was so quick to pray. Let's, let's redeem the time and let's redeem it in prayer. Jesus was intentional with his calendar. He was generous with the needy. He was consistent in prayer. And you can probably feel the pressure sort of mounting. Maybe you're like me and you walk in today and you already feel like you're pressed on every side. Your calendar's already full and you already feel maybe a little bit of guilt. And you come in here and you look at Jesus and you say, well, Jesus is doing this, this, and this, and this. And Pastor Josh is saying, we should model that and God commands it and he deserves it and so we should do it. And I want you to think of one more thing that Jesus does with his time and that we see so clearly in the New Testament. Now, he doesn't do it as much as as praying, but if you think about how many times it's mentioned, it's shocking, and it's that Jesus rested. This is the fourth point, that Jesus, our model, he was realistic about his rest. He was realistic about his rest. One of my favorite pillows I ever saw, I think it said something along the lines of this, and the person that... uh, that owns that pillow is probably here and probably used it for this very reason, but it says, Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. If you want to get me a hoodie, or maybe a, a door sign, that would be great, a door sign for my office, uh, maybe you could say that right there, Jesus took naps, Josh, Pastor Josh is being like Jesus. Uh, sometimes when the day starts early and goes long, I do find time to rest in the day, and I have used my couch for a few naps. Hey, Jesus did it. 
And depending on how many times you count what the criteria is here, we see in the New Testament that somewhere between seven and ten times Jesus is said to have been resting. His ministry lasted three years. He spends tons of time in prayer and a lot of time in sleep. And so here we begin to see this balance of redeeming the time, urgency, danger, and it's balanced. It's, it's, got, it's weighed out here with this idea of, hey, you are a human, and you, like Jesus, need rest. Here's what I love about rest. It's not only a common experience for all of us, including Jesus. It's more than that. It's a good idea, and it's even more than a good idea. It is a commanded part of your schedule. When you think about your calendar, when you actually look at it, you say, well, I've got to put some, some needy, I've got to meet the needs of others around me. I, I've got to share the gospel with people. I've got to disciple people. That's all these things that God has called us. I've got to pray on top of all of that. But realize this, too, that it has to be balanced with rest. It has to be balanced with rest. We've been commanded to rest. Two thoughts about rest. One, it's a human need. Rest is a human need. And when you rest, you declare, I'm a finite, weak human, and I gotta take a nap. You say, well, that's not really what I'm saying. Well, certainly you are. So many things in your life that you have the illusion that you are keeping it going around. You are spinning this globe. You're keeping everything together in that if you took your eyes off of it for just a second, everything would collapse and fall apart. But when you go to sleep, you're saying, I've done all that I can do, and now I've got to give in to my need as a creature. I love Psalm 3. It's my favorite psalm at this point in my life anyway. Psalm 3, there's a story, there's a picture that's painted here, and it's a, a man that has so many things piling up against him, and it says that he calls out to God, and the picture there is kind of painted as God surrounds him, and as, it surround, as God surrounds him, it, it, the very being of God acts as a shield of all these other things, a sustainer and a defender, and the psalmist says, I laid down and I went to sleep. And why did he do that? Because he was saying, I'm a human. I'm not God. I can't do everything. I can't keep everything, make everything consist. And so when we rest, we're declaring, we're confessing, God, we are weak. I am weak. But the other side of that is we are confessing and declaring worship. We're saying, I can rest, as in Psalm 3, not just because I have to, but I can rest because I can. Because, Jesus, you are defending me. You are securing my life. And so you might be tempted to think, well, Pastor Josh, if we're to redeem the time, aren't we wasting time when we lay down and take a nap? No, we're not. In that moment, we're declaring something that's so beautiful and true and glorious and needful. We're saying, God, you are good. I need rest, and you are going to give it to me. And I love in Psalm 3, it says, I lay down and I slept. And then it says, and I awakened, and the Lord sustained me. 
Do you know when everything is creeping up and coming up against you saying, you need to think about this, have you thought about that? You can't sit down and take a nap. You've got to do this, 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 and this. You know, in the middle of all of that, God is saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I'm meek and lowly. Let me ask you, when do you rest? When when do you actually do that? One thing I've learned recently is that it is incredibly difficult in this day and age to really, truly rest. You say, well, I take days off. Well, in the day that you take off, are you truly resting? In that day, do you feel that, that you can actually cease from processing information. Always being on guard, always being vigilant, making sure that you see everything coming from the, the headlines in a national or an international or even the regional pieces of information, everything that's going on in your friend groups on Facebook. Do you feel like you have to know every single thing? Or is there a time in your life where you can actually say, hey, I'm going to stop for this period of time and I'm going to stop processing information because the Lord will sustain me. If there's not, you've been invited into and commanded to rest. What about purchasing your needs and your wants? Is there ever a day, is there ever a time in your schedule where you say, I don't think about my needs and I don't think about my wants. I don't go to the store and I don't get on Amazon. I just don't think about those things. Facebook Marketplace, I can leave it. I don't need it because I'm resting right now. I don't have to take today and find my needs and my wants because I know that God will bring those things to me. He will sustain me. Is there actually a day where you can stop processing information and stop purchasing things that you need? Is there a day that you can actually stop and say, is there a time where you're saying, I'm not going to prepare for the future. I'm not going to plan for success. But I'm resting today. I'm declaring that I am human. I've done what I can. And now I'll rest. I'll declare I'm human. And I'll I'll declare that he is God. And I will lean into him, expecting him to sustain me. Friends, I want to just challenge you to think about your time. Be intentional with it. Be generous with it. Be prayerful about it, but don't think for one second that God is calling you to do what Pharaoh called the Israelites to do, to literally kill themselves for the sake of the mission. That's not what God's calling you to do. He is calling you to all these things, but in your calendar, he wants you to rest. Now, as we get close to landing the plane, I, I want to just s- circle back to this question of why are we talking about time? And, and why does God think that he has the right to tell us what to do with our time? Why does God have the time? The, where does he get the nerve telling us that we should take a nap? Well, the first point I already gave you was that God owns your time. God owns you, every part of you, And so that's why we're talking about time. Because he's told us this is how we should spend our time. And I want you to think about number two. So first, why are we talking about time? Because God owns your time. Two, because God wants your time. God wants your time. And when you think about that statement, God wants my time, realize this, that he's not saying, I don't have enough time 
So I need their time and their time and his time and her time. I got to have more time because I don't have enough time. That's not what God is saying. But the scriptures are inviting us, Christian, to be a part of what God is doing. He wants your contribution to his mission. He is inviting you to push your chips, so to speak, in on his victory. You see, Pharaoh in the Old Testament, he couldn't care less who made the bricks so long as he got the bricks. He didn't care what it cost, how much time it took. He just wanted what he wanted. That's not how God looks at you. God doesn't look at you as if you're some sort of a resource or a product to be wrung out regardless of who made it. He just gets what he gets because that's what he wants and he's God and that's his prerogative. That's not what the scriptures teach us. The scriptures teach us that he wants to include us in his work. He wants us to contribute our time to his mission. And I absolutely love this. Yesterday, we had the new members class, and we talked about the vision statement of Hagerstown Church there. And I absolutely love our vision statement. We are a people helping people find and follow Jesus. Where do we get that at? Well, we get that out of, out of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he says, hey, you have been reconciled to God. Now you've been sent out in this, and given this ministry of reconciliation. You've been made right with God. Now go and declare this message of reconciliation to those who are at war with God and do not have peace with God. I love that. Why in the world would God want his enemy, me, who has been reconciled to him now to actually serve him and in some sense be the face of him? to certain people that are in my sphere. It's amazing. God owns my time and God wants my time. It's incredible. And the third point, and this is probably the most beautiful, and I I really want you to think about this and let this sink in. Number three, God wants time with you. I've been really meditating on this idea, and it's been coming out in, 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 in Sunday morning sermons, that God is a person. Say that. God is a person. He's a person. And this person wants a physical relationship with his people. He wants time with you, and really, that's what Sabbath rest is all about. That's what rest is. It's God wanting time with us where we say, I'll sit down, I'll, I'll stop my labors, and I'll just work and think of my relationship with you. This relationship that he wants to have with each of us. When you think about your calendar, I just want you to ask yourself, how much time do you have in, the, in, that, in your calendar to just be with God. Not to earn anything, not to wrestle for something, not to even learn something new about him so that you can add it to your intellectual bookshelf in your mind. But how, many, how much of your time do you actually spend just being with the person who created you and redeemed you? I love this idea. That though we were once enemies of God, the gospel, the good news that Jesus has brought is not that we have to come before him in trial 
and Jesus clears our name, and the Father says, you may go. It's the opposite. We come into his presence, and the good news of Jesus, what he has accomplished on behalf of his people, is that we don't have to go, but that we can come. We can come to God. We can come into his presence without anxiety, without fear, without God's wrath, knowing, believing in the depths of our heart that will not be turned away, but that we will be invited in to relationship and deeper relationship with him. And so this morning, as you think about your calendar, I want to ask you to consider the life of Jesus. He was intentional with this calendar. He was generous with his counter towards those who are in need. He was persistent and consistent in prayer. He was there. And he was realistic with his rest. He balanced all of these things that God had called him to do in that short period of time that he was here. He balanced all that out with rest. And when, when you think about Jesus resting, consider that in some sense, Jesus is resting now. He's resting. There on the cross when he won our pardon, it says that he cried out, it is finished. In that moment, Jesus is saying, I'm done. The work is done. I I came, I glorified my father, and I sought and I saved the lost. Church, that's us. He he sought and he saved us. And so I want to end with with a a main idea this morning. Here's the main idea. If you're taking notes, write this down and meditate on this this week and let this be the gospel guard in your life as you consider your calendar. Main idea, here it is. We can make the most of our time because Jesus made the most of his. Jesus made the most of his time. He didn't waste any bit of it. And it was all poured out. Every second of his calendar was poured out to seek and to save you. And so if you leave here today thinking, okay, I'll seek and I'll save myself, and I'll do it by managing my calendar better this year. We're only a few weeks in. I can restart this year. I I got it. If for one second you think that, you've missed the whole point of this sermon. We cannot make God love us any more or less. We cannot earn anything from God because of the way that we manage our calendar or don't manage it. But think of this. We can make the most of our time. We have been invited in to spend our time for his mission, and we can do that. We have the privilege of doing that. Why? Because Jesus made the most of his time. So church, let's be encouraged by that this week as we consider our own time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Jesus. We can consider today the model that he was for us. His intentionality, his generosity, his focus on prayer, commitment to time with the Father and even to rest, to admit his own humanity and depend on the one who sustained him. God, we pray that we would be a church marked with that. As we consider our own time, would we first consider Jesus and what he accomplished? And as we then live to emulate our older brother, our king, would we be a people too 
intentional, generous, prayerful, and God restful. This is our hope. This is our prayer. God, you've invited us in. Give us the strength to believe it and to walk in this invitation. We ask it now in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen.